eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Fiori gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viori.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And I've got a problem with soccer to be fair. Football. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Welcome to House of Champions. Use your friends, drop in your comments, send your questions in the chat, and make sure you smash the like and subscribe buttons as we review the weekend's crazy football and action across Europe and beyond. I'm enjoy joined by my very good friend Jonathan Johnson over in Paris. JJ, how you doing, man? Yeah, doing well, thanks. And yourself, late uh, late start, but so much good football today. It uh, feels like it's blasted by. Yeah, it has been a little bit of a crazy weekend. The clock's also changed here in the United States, so it's getting dark outside. I've got one eye on the Seville Derby as we uh, round up the action this weekend. Uh, but let's begin with Serie A, JJ. It's uh, obviously been incredible to watch the games going on this weekend, but one that just finished was Juventus getting the victory over Inter. Uh, Rabiot getting that opening goal. Fagioli will give him credit for that second goal. It did deflect off Gusens before it went into the back of the net. But Juventus, not a shot in that first half. Not a shot on target in the first half, but in the second half, a completely different team. And I will say this, JJ, now they're getting healthy again. Juve look like they mean business. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting because I kind of feel like, um, you know, trying to find the positives from this performance and result kind of 
leads us into the uh, argument of potentially giving Allegri a bit more time and actually buying into what he's been saying since the beginning of the season that Juve's campaign is really only going to start uh, in uh, you know once the the FIFA World Cup break uh, is over. And I mean, while there is a bit of credence to that, also at the same time it does make you kind of feel when you see this kind of performance that Juve could have done a lot better in some of their situations earlier on in this season. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, they really got up for this game. Uh, you know, I think the second half was was particularly impressive. Like you mentioned, you know, first half, you know, they they, they did look, uh, you know, a, a bit shy in front of goal, but Inter, they're not easy opponents. Uh, you know, and this could really set up, uh, you know, sort of the second half of the season very nicely, especially with regards to how that, uh, you know, European qualification, you know, shakes out eventually but I don't know I'll, I'll, I'll flip it back to you I mean do you think uh, you know that we just got a glimpse of what Juve perhaps should have been like at times uh, you know since the beginning of the season because it feels like we've been coming on here week in week out absolutely slating Juve for these dreadful displays and I feel we've been justified in doing that but then they yeah. produce this kind of result I don't know whether it's more down to Juve actually performing up to the standards that they should have been or Inter, uh, you know, just being well and truly not at the races, uh, you know, once more. Because at the beginning of the season, they kind of looked similar to how they looked in this game. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, really. This game um, was obviously an interesting game. And I will say this, JJ, when you look at this weekend after what we've just gone through with the Champions League, there were some crazy results this weekend. Very difficult to predict, obviously, for betters out there like myself. Not easy to win money this weekend because of the surprising results, late goals, confusing results, interesting team selections and things like that. But with a Juventus team that has been a wounded animal for a large part of that Champions League campaign and certainly the domestic campaign as well, getting players back healthy is always going to change the dynamic and you know Nigel talked about it on the show uh, in the preview of the weekend getting players back healthy in the training ground how important it is for the chemistry and I can only imagine for Juve it's an absolute boost you see a Chiesa coming back obviously it's going to help you and it boosts morale and around the, the locker rooms the jokes start to flow again and then all of a sudden that translates out to performance what I did notice from this Juventus side though they did have it against PSG in some way they had a great desire in this game. They had a great passion. And, and you could tell that the fans were feeding off that. The players were feeding off the fans. And the fans were feeding off the performance from the players. It was a great mixed sort of atmosphere. And I love to see that from a Juve side because we're so familiar to seeing them perform like that. I thought there was two or three players who really stood out. One in particular was uh, Philip Costa. He seems like such a fantastic pickup for them. Um, but... On the Inter side of things, I'd love to hear it from all the fans who are out there watching right now, the viewers who are tuning in. Let us know in the comments what you thought about the game. But Inter really disappointed. In the final third, they were poor. And, and, and maybe it's me being a bit too critical of Inter offensively and not saying how well that Juve defended. There was a purpose in the performance from Juve today. Allegri lives again. And clearly, Juventus maybe know something that we don't know, JJ, because they seem to be sticking by Allegri. They seem to be happy with the way things have gone for him. And the performance today was a good one. And you could tell the players were playing for him. Yeah, but also perhaps there's an element of there not being any choice as well. We know it's well documented that Juve, you know, have financial concerns. Um, you know, they've obviously just dropped out of the Champions League as well. They still have a shot at, at European glory uh, in the Europa League, but also at the same time, it's not really the same kind of windfall they'll be looking at financially. But something is better than nothing. Uh, you know, yeah. and I do think that there will be a collective sense that, you know, everybody 
needs to salvage you know w- what best they can of the the remainder of this season and that goes for Allegri as well because Allegri going back when you go back to a club especially one where you've had as much success as Allegri had in his first spell there there is a massive risk that you undo everything that you've sort of achieved or memory of that and that would make it very difficult for him getting you know the same kind of caliber of jobs moving forward I'm not going to say it would completely put him out of the job market you know if he was to get sacked by Juve but it would make some of those bigger clubs in Italy less likely to look at him. Certainly, I think, would probably rule him out of consideration for a job outside of Italy. So it's as much in his interest to turn things around as it is for those players as well. And yes, there is that argument that, you know, they have been missing certain key players. Chiesa only just coming back to fitness now. Pogba, we won't see him until 2023. But, uh, you know, I do feel there is an element as well that, Juve, his players have sort of let him down at times, but I also think that his tactical selections have also been quite, uh, you know, bewildering uh, at times in certain match situations. Definitely got it right for this one, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I think there's a long way to go before we say that Juve have completely turned this around, but their position does look a bit rosier now. They're in the European positions and looking towards those Champions League qualification spots. Hey, JJ, before we move on to the Rome Derby, just want to touch upon the fact that the World Cup is coming up. Italy are not performing in the World Cup. Then there's also a couple of week break before Serie A continues early on in January. How important will that spell be for getting players back healthy, for getting players a rest, but also getting players you know, ready to rock and roll when January hits for a club like Juventus to really make a push for the top four? I think it'll be hugely important, certainly for some other clubs. I actually, I've got something to pick your brains on in a second as well related to that. But I think, you know, for some of these Italian clubs, I mean, Napoli, it's just going to be a question of looking after their star men, you know, making sure that they don't get sort of too bent out of shape with such a long period out of the game. Uh, you know, and I think it's going to be quite interesting because for some of these clubs where they have a lot of players who are not going to be involved in the World Cup for one reason or another, there's going to be a lot of those in Italy. It's mm-hmm. almost kind of getting a taste of what we we see year in, year out from the Bundesliga when they have that winter break installed into the calendar. And obviously, as somebody who's experienced that in the past, do you think yeah. there's a danger of this perhaps expand, extending a bit too far? You know, the, this this break from, from action for some of the clubs and actually getting some of their players back into shape off the back of the World Cup break is going to be really, really difficult to, to remobilize because I think we were talking about it in the... Uh, in the show's chat group on uh, on WhatsApp, how yep. there is still going to be that winter break in the Bundesliga as well, whereas so there are going to be other leagues that go straight back in, have that sort of festive, uh, you know, fixture flurry as well. Seems unfair, really, when you consider the fact that you would have a winter break uh, extended for certain leagues compared to others. But I will say this, though, you know, the Bundesliga doesn't come back until the 20th of January, which is giving players enough time to recover from a World Cup. It's a two-month break for the Bundesliga before they then pick up business again, which is just, in my mind, just unthinkable. You have a two-month break before you come back. I don't know what to expect when you do return. I can only imagine it's going to be good for the players. I think, um, obviously, you'll be able to focus on a World Cup. Players will be able to take a break. You'll be able to have a nice time off if you're not involved in the World Cup. And then you can enjoy a good Christmas. And then you go back into a preseason. And then you go back into the season. There's no rush. So I'm okay with that. But it is going to be very interesting to see how other leagues handle that. The Premier League is just absolutely insane. They go straight back in on the 26th of the December, if I'm not mistaken. France is early January as well, if I'm not mistaken, right? No, or, no, no. Late, there is late uh, December? We're, we're 20th, they, they've come up right. with a special festive sort of French Boxing Day, even though it won't be on Boxing Day equivalent. <laughs> 
it's absolutely madness. So I don't really know what to expect, what's good and what's not good. Um, but one thing's for sure, the Italians and certainly a lot of players who are playing in Serie A will be able to benefit. And I can only imagine Juve getting players back healthy in particular will be massively important here. Great comment coming from Rafa. He says, Allegri could have uh, one year mid-season break. His tactics will still be tired and stale. Today's <laughs> result doesn't disguise how bad he is, but a massive, massive result it was for Juventus. Thank you, Rafa, for your comments. Keep your comments coming, everybody out there who's tuning in to House of Champions as you enjoy with Jonathan Johnson. Let's turn our attention to the Rome Derby. Uh, Lazio getting the 1-0 victory in the Derby. Felipe Anderson on the 29th minute, his third goal of the season. Pretty poor from Ibanez, just completely lacking composure, losing his mind in a big situation and losing the game in the end. Roma were poor in this game, JJ. Only eight shots, two of them on target. Just really disappointing from Rome altogether. Lazio move up to third in the standings now. Uh, massive win in the Derby and a statement from Lazio with that victory. Are we not talking about Lazio enough? We seem to be talking about every other team but Lazio. No, I think they've flown in under the radar, which is uh, which which is good for them because I think there was you know great expectation on Sarri to immediately sort of stamp his Sarri ball blueprint all over that team, and I think what we're actually seeing now is sort of a revised version um, of Sarri ball, and I think you know that's something that a lot of people were wondering if he was even capable of, uh, you know, quite. Clearly, he's mastered being a little bit more pragmatic. Uh, I don't think that takes away from what was a very disappointing and flat performance from Roma, don't get me wrong. But yep. it feels like, you know, you uh, Lazio now, I mean, especially, you know, without Chiro Immobile, uh, you know, they're learning how, and there was no uh, Milinkovic-Savic either for this game, of course. So, you know, two key elements out of that Lazio side, and they still managed to come away with a, a really important win, more important than, uh, you know, the, than usual, given that it was in the derby as well. But I think for me, Roma, they, they feel toothless at this moment in time. Every time we've talked about them in recent podcasts, it just, you know, the, they're not quite getting the chances to score the goals that they need. Uh, you know, and we've, I think we talked about Tammy Abraham having gone like something like, I don't know, what was it? Nine, 10 games without a goal a, a yeah. couple of weeks ago. And, you know, those, those, those are worrying times, especially when you're, you know, in the absence of a Dybala, you're relying on somebody like a, a Zaniolo, who's always quite injury prone and Pellegrini, who I think maybe scored his first domestic goal in like a full calendar year quite recently, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. It it kind of does feel like a obviously it's a huge victory for Lazio, but also that's a massive you know defeat for for, for Mourinho and uh, and Roma. And I don't know it's I don't know if it's me, but I I just kind of feel like that competitive Mourinho Roma, which I expected to really kick on this season, uh, you know, has not quite come into to being just yet. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, looking at yep. the at the table. Well, I think that what you're witnessing is teams like Rome, Lazio and other teams who are competing in Europe as well just simply don't have the depth enough to be able to compete every three days. I mean, that's what the schedule is giving these players right now. And it was a lot of tired legs, tired performances that I saw from many teams who had competed in Europe this uh, midweek. And now going back into domestic action, it was no different for Rome. Um, what, I, what surprised me more than anything, JJ, was the fact that their own fans started sort of whistling and booing when they didn't see the passion, they didn't see the energy, they didn't see the commitment. I mean, this is a derby game. And then for large hmm. periods of this game, Lazio were just pinging this ball around. And the Paramount Plus team were talking about this as well on their um, post-game show. You know, it's unusual to see that in a Rome derby that your fans would get against you. Um, and and I've, I've certainly experienced it in a derby game, played in the Hamburg derby in particular, where, you know, if your fans will get pretty pissed off if you're not getting stuck in. Even if you're not winning the game, 
and you're not, um, you know, dominating the game in any way, if you just give up and you allow the opposition to enjoy possession without showing a bit of heart, without showing a bit of fight, the fans will turn against you very quickly in a derby game and it makes it an uphill battle. So I'm not really surprised to see a disappointing performance from Roma on the day. They just didn't, didn't have it. But Lazio surprised me. And, and maybe it's because Michael LaHood did not pick them to win this game this weekend. The fact that they actually went on and picked up all three points, but a huge win for them. Let's move on to Atalanta against Napoli. Uh, big game, obviously, coming into the weekend. We were really looking forward to seeing how Napoli would perform. They didn't have Quaricchia in their lineup, um, but they still got the job done, JJ. Lukman opened the scoring with a, a fantastic penalty kick, by the way, for Atalanta, 90 minutes in. Top Ben, six league goal for him, five goals in the last six games. He really looks like he's found a home, JJ. Then awesome men took over. 23 minutes in, he scored four goals in his last three games, ninth all competitions. Remember, he's been injured for a large period of that, and Elmas with his first goal since August, assisted by Osman to wrap things up in the first half. And that was all she wrote. Napoli get the victory without Kvaradona. Pretty good performance, I would say, from Napoli all around, and they look the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've raved uh, and waxed lyrical about Napoli, uh, you know, so many times already this season. But I think what's probably most encouraging about this is it's proof that this Napoli side can get results without one of their key men, because we know the value of Ozzyman. We know uh, the, the the value of Kvaradona uh, as well. So, you know, to see them get the get the win there with just one of those two star men, uh, you know, turning up and performing is encouraging. I don't know what it would look like if Napoli lost both of them, but, uh, you know, fingers crossed for them that that doesn't happen at any point. And, you know, it goes back to the sort of the debate about the the winter break as well during the, the World Cup. Napoli, they just have this momentum uh, right now. And I think it's that momentum which we saw carry them in this match. You know, they fell behind early on, but they're in this, uh, you know, really hot streak at the moment. Yes, I know that they lost to Liverpool in the Champions League in the last round of games. But, uh, you know, it, that was kind of the wake-up call that we were discussing after those games that they needed. Uh, you know, and suddenly, you know, they got another wake-up call here with, with Atalanta, one of the better sides in the league so far this season, taking the lead. Uh, you know, and they showed that they were up to the challenge. So I think... You know, Napoli have passed, uh, you know, the, the the first kind of test point uh, of their season. And as long as they don't do anything silly now leading into that World Cup break, uh, you know, I think they're going to be really well positioned. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to bring it back to that break um, and, and make a, a, and put a question to you. Do you think that the experience of having that time off is going to lead some of these leagues to potentially adopt that kind of winter style break that we've seen in Germany? Because if it works out for somebody like Napoli and they manage to keep their players fresh, you know, there's going to be a lot of leagues that look at it and think, well, you know, maybe this is a way that we can keep some of our clubs a bit more competitive, especially those who are sort of starting to suffer, uh, you know, in the in the UEFA coefficient. Yeah, I think the question is, how can you keep your players healthy? Because what we're witnessing right now is the schedule's just its ridiculous for these players. I and mean, you're seeing so many injuries now leading up to World Cup. Players are trying to obviously compete domestically for their uh, club teams. And then you're also um, trying to keep yourself fit for your national team going into World Cup. It, it's a bit crazy right now. But all the competitions that are being thrown at these players... You know, is anyone even asking the players like how they're even managing to cope with this? Like, this is a business right now. We're witnessing a business. People are making money off these players playing 60, 70 games a season and not thinking for a fact, by the way, we're just going to treat these players as hu as uh, science projects rather than human beings. It's absolutely insane. And I'll be honest with you, JJ. Like, I was never a player that could keep healthy. 
I, I had a lot of injuries. I had a bad, bad knee injury when I first uh, started playing, but I had a lot of injuries, a lot of hamstring injuries, a lot of muscle tears, all this type of shit that just kept coming my way. I cannot even begin to imagine someone who can play 50, 60, 70 games a season for club and for country. Nowadays, these players are asked to do that five, six, seven years in a row. If you're a good player nowadays, you're playing seven, eight, nine hundred games in your career. It's absolutely insane the numbers that are being thrown at these players. So I think they have to start to adopt a, a break in the season for players to be able to recuperate so that we don't get serious injury from some of the world's best players. You know, we have criticized and, and you could obviously look at, at the Bundesliga taking this big break. I think it's fantastic for the players. I used to love it. Mentally, I used to be able to switch off from football. Physically, you used to be able to recuperate. You did a small preseason, and in a way, you go again. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me. I've got some stats on you uh, for Osimhen, but do you have a comment on that there about the break again? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting seeing that kind of observation coming in. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I can understand why people point to the Premier League and they find it great because they're home with their families at Christmas, you know, get to tune in for some football while eating some great food and being surrounded by families. Yeah, I understand that. But I think there has to be some, you know, sort of like underlying logic to it and an acknowledgement that these guys are also, uh, you know, human beings need that same time with their family, time to switch off, time to rest, recuperate, uh, you know, and I think maybe there is sort of a, a logical in between because I mean, we met mentioned France earlier and I'm not saying that it's necessarily the best example but there is technically a winter break normally you know in years when you don't have a World Cup slap bang in the middle of the season where the league games stop for about two three weeks you do have a round of domestic cup games but they got rid of one of the domestic cups the league cup because they felt it was just cramming the the schedule too much you know making it too heavy at the beginning of each year in january where teams would be playing every sort of two or three days just off the back uh, of yeah. that sort of two to three week break so i do think that there is you know perhaps a, a, a fine balance to be struck but yes you know those financial arguments uh you know are always going to be extremely strong especially when you've got something like boxing day which is just ingrained uh you know in in, in the the british footballing culture you know if i went home for Christmas to spend time with my family and we said on Boxing Day you know what's on TV there's no football I think you know there'd be a mini crisis it's yeah it's it's it's, it's unthinkable but perhaps uh, you know for the good of the sports at some point there is going to have to come a, a, a time a period of reflection where okay if not you know for Boxing Day and, and Christmas you know there has to be some time where you can give those players uh, a break I mean it, it is particularly unforgiving though as you said earlier uh, you know to expect them to go straight back into the thick of it uh, uh, you know, just after uh, just after a World Cup, it is. It does feel like we're getting close to sort of like a potential breaking point. A few stats from Osimhen's performance this weekend and also his career in Serie A. 60 games in Serie A, 32 goals, 7 assists. Um, he has now scored more Serie A goals than any other Nigerian player in the competition's history. Uh, Napoli, top of Serie A, obviously heading to uh, ahead of Milan, who won thanks to Giroud with a fantastic finish, by the way. I text you immediately because that finish was sensational <laughs> from Giroud to win the game. Uh, Napoli against Empoli and Udinese, both at home before that World Cup break, so certainly in favour of Napoli. One, one thing I will one thing I will add as well about Serie A is when you know we've been digging through uh, you know Inter's results uh, here you know looking at Roma's as well if you look at those teams just outside of the European positions uh, you know Roma and uh, Inter sort of hanging on by dear life for dear life there uh, on the very edge of the European qualification zones 
very few draws. They either win games or they lose games. They absolutely need to learn to take at least a point from those kind of matches. Roma against Lazio being a prime example. You know, you're up against Lazio. Not only they're they're your bitter rivals, you're playing at home, but, you know, they're well out two of their star players. You have to be taking at least a point there and learning how to grind out those points again. And I felt Roma mastered that fairly well towards the end of last season, but they kind of seem to have forgotten that. And I think if Inter and Roma really stay, uh, you know, in the record, for you know potential Champions League qualification, they absolutely need to learn how to master that. That's a great point. And it's also as if teams and coaches need to try and master what is happening to them right now with this ridiculous schedule that's been thrown at them, trying to figure out how to do this. This is the first time we've ever had a World Cup in the mid-season. It's the first time the, the European schedule, competitive schedule, has been as compact as, as it is. So they've got to try and figure a way to be able to keep themselves composed, make sure they go into games and not necessarily just lose games. you got to try and get a point in from, from some of these games, which is massively important. And keeping your head sometimes is also very important when it comes to team selection, um, discipline, and whatever it may be. Now, as we turn our attention to La Liga, keeping the head was certainly something that was completely lacking, as Matt Osmond has pointed out right here in the, in the comments. He just said the Sevilla derby was absolutely insane. Three red cards, and you're right, Matt. Uh, Betis Sevilla finished 1-1. Uh, Navas uh, with the own goal. It was absolutely ridiculous, the own goal. I thought Benoist should have done so much better. And then Goodell in the 81st minute after playing against nine men for such a long period of time with 10 men. Sevilla eventually got their goal. Uh, three red cards in the game. Mad game. The first half was absolutely insane. Referee kept on going back to video review. Referee kept on producing these red cards. Um, overall thoughts on the game. I mean, forget the result. I mean, this was just madness, right? Yeah, it was madness. And it was, you know, great to, to watch it unfolding. It's a shame we had to come on air, uh, you know, before the game finished to, to, to see the way that it played out. Obviously gutting for me of a Betis persuasion that Sevilla managed to get the goal. But when those kind of circumstances unfold, it becomes a game that neither side can afford to lose. You know, when you're in that, you know, the heat of the derby, you, you cannot, like Betis knew, you know, being ahead, but also having two men sent off, they, they knew that if they conceded one goal, the chances were high that they would probably concede another and go on to lose unthinkable yeah. in front of your own fans against your bitter rivals, but also Sevilla, you know, to have been one man better off for sort of what best part of, uh, of, of half an hour at least. And then finally managing to get the breakthrough just at the end, you know, they'll, they'll feel like, you know, that was the absolute least that they could have done. Uh, you know, and I, I do think it's, it is a, it was a great spectacle, you know, really pro- probably the fairest result, uh, you know, overall, but at the same time, it I must feel like a, an opportunity missed for Betis because it, it's so galling to concede in those kind of circumstances so late on, but also how sweet it would have been for them as well to see Jesus Navas potentially score the only goal of the game, an own goal, you know, the real symbol of Sevilla. That would have absolutely, you know, rubbed salt <laughs> into the wounds. But, you know, I do still think that, you know, Betis are definitely one of the better position teams, uh, you know, to 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 push to qualify for the Champions League as a surprise contender. The only thing I worry about for them at this moment in time is, you know, you lose Fekir, you lose Iglesias to, to suspension, you're arguably your best creative player, your best goal scorer. Suddenly having them out, they go to Valencia next. You know, that that could get kind of tricky. But I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, Sam Pauli, we've seen him now. He's getting his feet back under the table with Sevilla. 
okay, you could argue maybe he should have done better in one or two uh, situations since he's come back in. But generally speaking, there seem there seem to be signs of life again to this Sevilla side. Not perhaps you know the same level the, that we've been used to having Sevilla over the last couple of years, but yeah. sort of better than we've seen from them so far this season. Yeah, definitely. And they're scoring goals again and also giving themselves an opportunity to be involved in every game. And okay, the the wins aren't consistently coming for them just yet. Um, But I've talked about it so many times, just having someone with that type of passion on the sidelines. And today was was a great example. It's a derby game and people like him got to be very careful to remain cool, to remain composed. Um, He was marching up and down, left and right, like he does in his technical area, trying to keep composed. But when you're playing against nine men with 10 men, there's already been three red cards. It's hard to to remain composed you're one nil down in the game and he was absolutely going nuts trying to get his team back into the game trying to get his team to just like go crazy he had this castore tracksuit in as producer des is mentioning to us in our private chat he had this blue castore tracksuit just you know <laughs> with a hoodie just walking back and forth he looked like an animal but he was uh someone who he was uh, determined. He, probably yeah <laughs> yeah but it was just i think it's a great environment for him to be in you can tell there's a respect from the players to him. And today, even though tactically it goes out the window very quickly with the red cards, and especially when red cards happen in the first half in derby games, tactically you have to just remain in games. He did do very quickly, got a favorable decision. I thought the Fekir uh, elbow was a bit silly from Fekir. He shouldn't have done that, even though I just, I'm not sure it was 100% a red card. It was close. Um, but certainly a video review had no hesitation in producing it ahead of halftime, and then it's an interesting second half. But Sevilla... They, they play counter-attacking football very good. They, they love to defend. They love to attack quickly. And they get a lot of opportunities in front of goal. And if you look at them playing against nine men with 10 men, they had tons of chances to potentially go on and win that game. And they just really uh, didn't put themselves to bed there. Uh, but in the end, it finished 1-1 in Derby. And I'd have to say, JJ, it was probably a fair result in the end because uh, Betis deserves something from the game. Sevilla deserves something from the game in the end. Goodell's absolute stunner tied things up on the 81st minute. Other fixtures in uh, La Liga, Barcelona, two goals to nil against Almeria. Uh, Gerard Pique retires from football emotionally. We'll touch on him real quickly before we go to break. Uh, Atletico Madrid won, Espanyol won, Atleti playing against uh, 10 men for 62 minutes in this game. Uh, just ridiculous. And then, of course, Real Madrid play on Monday. But real quickly, as we run things up in La Liga before we go to break, anything from Gerard Pique there and Atleti's uh, miserable performance against 10? Well, Atleti, I don't think we're surprised about it. Certainly not judging by our comments, our back and forth in the chat over the weekend. Uh, I think it was a miracle in itself that Jao Felix managed to get the game time to get himself a goal. But, you know, for for PK, yeah, I mean, I I think that some players are guilty of overstaying, not necessarily their welcome, but, you know, sort of trying to prolong their career when the signs have been telling them for a while that, you know, perhaps it was better to hang up their boots. I think that message finally got through to Gerard Piquet, better late than never, um, you know, and, you know, not trying to be too harsh on him. I think that the signs were already there that the game was passing him by back, you know, a couple of years ago when you had Mbappe absolutely roasting him, uh, you know, when PSG racked up a, a big win at, at camp now. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think... 
I think a lot of how people will recall PK will probably be linked with what Barca are now and what they've become in the last couple of years. But let's not forget he was part of a phenomenal, uh, you know, Barca side under Pep Guardiola back in sort of, uh, you know, 2008 time. You know, the the yep. kids that came through as the academy graduates, I know that he went off to United uh, and then came back to Barcelona. But, you know, the, the, the homegrown talents that really formed the core of that team, because I think the only one left now is Busquets. And again, Busquets is sort of, in that territory as well that PK was in that I mentioned earlier. So, you know, credit to him for what he achieved over his career, not just with Barca, you know, but also for for his country as well. World Cup and European champion with Spain. And they were a phenomenal national team back at that uh, point in time as well. So, you know, credit to him. But um, I think it's the right decision for, for him to call it a day at this moment. Couple of quick comments before we head to break here. Rafa says PK planning for the future. Good PR move to leave now instead of seeing uh, that monster contract. Certainly a big PR move when it comes to how much money Barcelona will save on the contract now being gone. Yeah, uh, and it, it should up. it should be pointed out as well that I think he opted to renounce any remaining money from that contract, which, you know, is, is is a big gesture, but like Rafa said, you know, could well be sort of coming with an angle as well, because we know how much Barca have riding on these next couple of years. Yeah, especially when you're going through a divorce, JJ, let me tell you that. Not easy to <laughs> go through a divorce when you're giving away money. You know what? The obvious the obvious reaction when PK reacted was, so that's the lengths he'd go to to not have to wear the Shakira special shirt from Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. I'm out of here. All right, we're out here as well. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll have a look at the uh, rest of the fixtures uh, from the Premier League. It was an absolute mind-blowing week in the Premier League. Some crazy fixtures, some crazy results. You're watching House of Champions. We'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, you're watching House of Champions. If you're looking for a month free Paramount Plus action, P Plus have a one month free trial. Offer code UEFA22. Scan the QR code on the screen or follow the link in the description to get your one month free of Paramount Plus action. A lot to look forward to on Paramount Plus. So many football rights, uh, great soccer action. And of course, you're welcome back to House of Champions. It's Ian Joy alongside Jonathan Johnson. A few comments coming in already. Uh, thank you to everybody out there who's been tuning in. Lee Ferry. Arsenal with a Jamaican flag right next to it there. Let's get on to the Gunners against Chelsea in the Premier League. Um, Gabriel with the winning goal in the game, JJ. Um, Arsenal now have won three consecutive Premier League away games against Chelsea for the first time in the competition's history. Uh, pretty incredible performance. Uh, it was a really interesting game. It was a tight game. But at the end of the day, I'd have to say Arsenal were probably justified of three points, right? 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I I think it's really impressive what Mikel Arteta has managed to forge, uh, you know, with this Arsenal side. Uh, and I, you know, I do think that they were deserving winners at the end of the day. I mean, I actually think that this result tells us a bit more about Chelsea than it does Arsenal. We know that Arsenal, uh, you know, are one of the teams setting the pace in the Premier League now. Definitely one of the best organised with the clearest identity. Chelsea don't really have any of that at this moment in time under Graham Potter. I mean, I know that there's been a lot of knee-jerk reactions, people saying, you know, oh, Potter's out of his depth, uh, you know, our players don't know what they're doing. It's going to take time, uh, you know, to to get Chelsea into a position where they can have the same, uh, you know, sort of setup that Arsenal have at this moment in time. Arteta has taken you know, years really, uh, you know, to really bring his ideas to fruition. And yes, you know, Thomas Tuchel had, you know, some some good, clear, strong ideas. But then since the takeover, you know, all of that has been thrown out of the window. It's essentially, you know, a new club, certainly a new team, uh, you know, and I think, you know, for, for people to expect Graham Potter to just come in and instantly, you know, take Chelsea back up to the top of the table and have them, you know, dominating all of their opponents, it's just not going to happen. I I think, you know, Chelsea did well here to only lose it by a goal, uh, you know, for it to not, uh, you know, get embarrassing because I think the gulf between the two at this moment in time is much bigger than that scoreline suggests. I don't know if you were, if you would agree with that, but for me, I feel like Chelsea, Chelsea are not ready to compete, uh, you know, with teams like Arsenal, with teams like Manchester City at this moment in time. And, you know, they look like they're being passed by by the likes of a Newcastle. I mean, Tottenham were looking good until a couple of weeks ago as well. For me, it feels like Chelsea are... F- quite far off the pace at this moment in time, but also, you know, that Potter needs to be given the necessary time, uh, you know, to, to put his methods into place. Yeah, no doubt about it. You can actually see that gap. And this game in particular showed that it could have been more for Arsenal. And I don't want to criticize Chelsea too much because they were well in this game. And in many ways, there was a good bit of fight and a good bit of desire from players. They created some decent chances. Oba was, was in my opinion, pretty poor in this game. Up top, they really struggled. Chelsea, there was no real um, power. There was no real danger, really, for Arsenal to worry about. Um, on the goal in particular, you got to say it was a, a good finish from Gabriel. I know it took a little deflection on its way in there. Second goal of the season for him but Saka with the assist here a little uh, start I pulled up here only Kevin De Bruyne who has nine has registered more assists than Bukayo Saka who has six in the Premier League this season well I'm um, glad I'm glad that good. you're getting the I'm glad you're getting the constructive stats in here because what we have to put up with in the House of Champions chat group is just James Bench trotting out all these stats about how Saka has become the most fouled player in the Premier League. I'm glad I'm glad that we're looking at other aspects of his game and not just how the you know the brutal treatments he's being handed each week. He certainly is one player that gets fouled a lot in the game. He also gave it a little bit in the derby today, and that's what I want to see from a derby game. Um, Arsenal back to the top of the Prem, Brighton up next for them in the Cup, and then at Wolves next weekend before that winter break. Um, We've already discussed a little bit about Chelsea. If any fans out there who are watching would like to leave a comment about Chelsea, please let us know. Um, SSB28, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Uh, One thing that has impressed me this season is Arsenal's midfield. Partey and Xhaka have really surprised me. Um, And and I think they've surprised all of us, but that goes back to what you were talking about earlier on, JJ, about Arteta being given time and being able to give these players some consistency to be able to work it out and make sure they get it right. If this, if he believes in you, you're going to eventually get the best performance from these players. And Partey in particular, I know what Shaka can do. I've seen him already in the Bundesliga. I've seen him throughout his career get better and better. He's an experienced player now. But Partey in particular, I think he's taken his game to the next level. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I mean, I think that Partey is extremely, uh, you know, lucky that uh, Arsenal and Arteta have stood by him, especially with everything that's been going on away from the pitch. Uh, you know, but if we're talking purely about what he brings on the pitch, uh, you know, yes, you know, obviously he has emerged as a really key figure for this Arsenal side uh, at this moment in time. And I think as well, what has started to really impress me, because uh, you've noticed it sort of in the Europa League as well, is the balance now that this squad has, the ability for Arteta to chop and change one or two pieces and more or less get the same kind of performances coming out of his players. Uh, you know, I still think they maybe need that strength in depth in terms of a goal threat, but, yep. uh, you know, generally speaking across the board, you know, it is a pretty, you know, tightly run and well-oiled team at this moment in time. Whether or not they have the staying power to to, to outlast a City, uh, you know, I th- realistically, I think they're kind of, they're pulling ahead of everybody else. So it's just going to be between them and City at this moment in time. We don't know what, uh, you know, the, the World Cup, uh, you know, will do to some of these teams. But at this moment in time... Sure. It is really beautiful to see, you know, what Arsenal and Arteta have managed to to create. And you do wonder just how long they can keep this, uh, you know, this run going. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how they actually do perform when they come back after the World Cup. Both of these teams, obviously, Chelsea in particular, I want to see them improve. Um, just wonder, obviously, how much time do you give a Graham Potter to get it right? How much money do you give him to spend in the transfer window? What do they do with the players who are going to be out of contract? Um, Fabrizio Romano has been talking about that a lot on our interviews that we've been doing every single week. Go back and watch them on YouTube if you're out there and want to find out what he's been saying about Chelsea. But for Arsenal in particular, what they do off the field to bring these types of players into the locker room to improve to get better and then see this type of reaction from the players you can tell the chemistry is on point Arteta is getting it right let's move on to Spurs against Liverpool JJ um, this was a big game big performance from Liverpool Salah got a couple of goals in this game and uh, Harry Kane obviously pulled one back and made it very interesting towards the later stages in this game Liverpool unbeaten in our last 112 Premier League games when they were leading at half time a stat I didn't want to forget mentioning to you coming on the show uh, first one on the road for Liverpool this season statement performance statement victory even though Tottenham made it interesting in the end yeah they did um I mean I think this has the potential to to give Liverpool something to build on and, and move on with I mean I think in many ways if they manage to win I think they've got um, an EFL cup game against Derby uh, and then they finish up with maybe South Hat no or is it Forest they play anyway they've got an EFL cup game and then they've got uh you know I think Southampton before the before the the break for the World Cup and you know if Liverpool do manage to win both of those games they'll go into the break uh, you know having built up a bit of momentum I think that's quite important because it'll take a bit of the pressure off because we've been you know discussing sort of Klopp's future uh in recent weeks you know whether the players are able to to handle uh you know his demands these days some of those mm-hmm. players will obviously be able to get uh, get a rest but also I think Klopp will be able to sit back, you know, really, truly analyze, get into the into the thick of it, uh, you know, with regards to, you know, what can be improved moving forward to the, the second half of the season. You know, they can perhaps draw up some list of potential targets to come in and strengthen the squad. But in terms of sort of turning around their form immediately, that's that's a key result for them in terms of their top four ambitions. Uh, you know, really big blow for Spurs, especially given the way that they've been usurped in third place in recent weeks. Newcastle now up there uh, after today's results. But, you know, I do think that, you know, Liverpool have always certainly, you know, this this season they've shown at times that they can take those steps forward with positive performance and results and then they find some way of undoing it if they don't do that this time then yeah this is definitely something to to build on but i mean i'm 
I'm I'm curious to know what you make of the the Spurs situation at the moment because it really feels like you know they're in this kind of sticky patch at this moment in time. You know they've started to lose a couple of games, drop points. Uh, but I felt that Kudasevsky, I mean, came on immediately, got the assist for for Harry Kane. You know they're without Son at this moment in time, and probably will be until the World Cup break. How big a you know a boost is it having somebody like Kudasevsky back because he does bring that creativity that. Let's face it, Spurs are really missing at this moment in time. It's there's some really unimaginative performances we've seen uh, from Conte's men in recent weeks. Yeah, great question. Listen, we got a lot of comments coming in as well. JJ SSB twenty eight Conte needs to get Spurs to start quicker. He needs to start game attacking. Now Kulusevski absolutely helps that. I mean, it took him a, what a minute and twenty one seconds, something like that, to to get his uh, mark in this game. Um, but they need that. It's almost as if they need to be a bit more dynamic more than anything else. Spurs. They're a little bit frustrating for me, but. I guess the bigger question or the biggest talking point for me would be about Conte against the the big teams, the, the, the big six, so to say, in the Premier League. Seems to struggle. You know, I went back and had a look at some of the results and um, lost against Liverpool, lost against Man United, lost against Arsenal, drew against Chelsea. Now, these are big games that Tottenham, if they want to be taken seriously as a contender year in, year out for a top four finish and potentially challenge for a title at some point, these are big games you've got to start getting results. And the question I would have to ask at the end of the day is, Conte, that type of coach, can he actually get this team to, to start winning those games? Is he the man? Or does he just kind of struggle against top six teams where you win the other games and you put yourself in contention for a top four finish? But when it comes to these big games, Tottenham looked a little bit off it until the second half. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really good observation because you can say the same about Conte in Europe as well. I mean, Conte, yes, he's led them to top spots in the Champions League group, but that group was so chaotic. You know, Spurs weren't even sure that they were through into the, into the latter stage of the Champions League until the last kick of their game. So it's kind of a bit of a, a futile argument there. But there is definitely, you know, some credence in, you know, Conte not necessarily getting the the best out of Spurs and getting the results against the the top top teams yet he continues to to appeal sort of publicly to Spurs to put more and more money into his project so yeah. you know I think there there will come a time where you know Spurs have to ask you know you know enough is enough you know how much more do you really think that we're realistically going to be able to give you before you're able to compete with this Spurs side and it does kind of almost feel like an excuse that kind of gets trotted out whenever Spurs don't get the win, uh, you know, that the the team is not strong enough. When, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, as we were just discussing here, the setup, you know, could be designed so that Spurs are actually a bit more positive, a bit more proactive, you know, and actually look to get themselves on the front foot rather than, you know, reacting to, to what their opponents are doing and, you know, sort of almost sitting with their foot half on the uh, off of the gas sometimes. Yeah, JJ, this question is for you from Rafa. What do you guys think about Darwin Nunes? A lot of people dismiss him, but I think he could develop into a world-class player. I mean, he's shown that ahead of his move to Liverpool, had an unfortunate, um, although stupid red card early on in his Liverpool career, now showing flashes of what he really has. I mean, this kid has unbelievable potential. Yeah, he does. Uh, you know, and we saw that last season in the Champions League with Benfica as well. There's a reason why Liverpool were prepared to stump up the money that they paid for him. Whether it was the best decision sort of strategically in terms of the position that needed strengthening, we can debate that. But, you know, is was uh, Nunez's uh, potential clear yes absolutely it was uh you know and i think as well it's a, a question of the culture shock you know he's come from uh you know 
playing in a in a country that's not too dissimilar, uh, you know, to his home country of Uruguay, to somewhere where it's completely different. Yes, you know, he doesn't shy away from the physical aspect of the Premier League match, but to really properly bed in to really truly find his feet sometimes that can take the best part of a season you know and the fact that even though he's not able to score he's chipping in with assists here I think that's really important important not only for Klopp and for Liverpool but also for Nunez himself in sort of feeding part of this Liverpool setup and I think you know the team will continue to evolve uh, and it'll in the future it'll be built more around getting the best out of Nunez but you know, while that those changes are happening uh, and being put into place, he just needs to keep uh, contributing. And if he can't get a goal, you know, getting an assist is the next best thing, I think. I know we're absolutely extending this show and producer Des wants to get on to the next game and get out of here pretty quickly. I want to get on go- to the next game. I want to just ask you real quickly about Darwin Nunes. Is there any part of his game that reminds you of a player that you've watched so closely in Edison Cavani? Any part of his game similar? There's a lot of uh, similarities. You know, you just look at the appearance and it immediately shouts, you know, sort of Cavani 2.0 in many ways. But no, I mean, I think the one thing that so many of the Uruguayan players have that, you know, we saw them get the, you know, the best out of that. <laughs> you saw tab- yeah, they ha- yeah, I mean, that's what I meant by the appearance when you look at him at, you know, first glance. But, you know, I think one of the, the things that Tabarez, you know, really succeeded with for a long time with that Uruguayan side is the fact that they have that determination, that grit, that sort of never say die attitude. And, and Nunez, yes, I mean, it sort of has manifested itself in a bit of aggro at the so far this season. But, you know, he does have that character. He's not somebody who's going to shy away. Uh, you know, he is somebody who, you know, is very expressive in terms of the way that he plays, but also in terms of the personality that he is. And I think if you harness that right, as, you know, Klopp, I think, will eventually do, because he's a very good man manager. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, Nunez, that there are a lot of similarities with Cavani. And let's not forget, you know, Cavani had to be refined, had to be shaped over a number of years. He had always been a brilliant predator, somebody capable of putting the ball in the back of the net but he had to learn to add different aspects to his game before he became arguably one of the most complete strikers in the European game at uh, some point I I think as well there are some lessons that Nunez can learn from Cavani because unfortunately we see Cavani's body failing him now I think there's very little opportunity for him to make it to the 2024 World Cup when I see his body falling apart while he's playing for Valencia you know it's been very stop start for him since he left PSG and if Nunez can sort of you know learn to you know sort of listen to his body not sort of push it to its limits as Cavani did back in 2018 and of course he did it you know putting his body on the on the line for his country you know so you have to respect that but if Nunez can pay attention to those sort of things perhaps he will be able to enjoy a bit more longevity than Cavani because Cavani as brilliant as he was he was only at the very very top for a short period of time compared to his talent, he should arguably have been one of the leading strikers in Europe for sort of a five to seven year stretch. Yeah, I agree with you. And so does Rafa. He says 100%. SSB says Nunes and Cavani move similar off the ball in movement, the way he drifts to the side. I just see a lot of similarities and I'm glad I brought up that question. That was a phenomenal answer right there. Let's get to your Villa. Villa got a massive win against Manchester United. I'm sure it put a big smile on your face. In fact, I know it put a smile on your face. What a great goal it was from Bailey to open the score. And there it is. Two in his last three games. 
having, oh, having hey! to get the shirt out for Nigel Rio Coca. Um, honestly, absolutely delighted on cloud nine. I mean, everything that you'd want from an opening fixture under a new manager, we got it with Villa. Uh, you know, it was reaction. I mean, where to where to start? I mean, it was it was just brilliant. You know, everything that had been lacking under Stephen Jarrod and also in in the second of those two games uh, under interim management of Aaron Danks as well. Yep. You know, Villa had a map. They had a plan. Uh, you know, a way that they wanted to approach the match. Yes, they made a, a superb start, but the players, you could see the motivation and you know just how positive they responded to being put into. I mean, you know, Nigel, you know, observed it in the chat. Just very basic formations and shapes. Yet, you know, when your players are responding to that kind of thing. It's pretty damning for for, for Stephen Gerrard, obviously, uh, you know, who Unai Maria has replaced. But also, it suggests that there is a lot more potential in this squad than many people thought. Uh, you know, and Unai Emery sees that <clears throat> and has identified a way to tap into it. Now, Villa aren't going to be performing like that week in, week out and beating teams of Man United's quality 3-1. We can also argue that United weren't at the races. Certainly some very poor aspects of their match today, but... You know, to be able to get a match performance like that out of this Villa side that, you know, yeah, they they thumped Brentford recently 4-0, but then they went and got absolutely tonked by Newcastle as well. So to yep. see them put in that kind of performance, you know, fantastic. You know, first time in 27 years, I think, that we've beaten Man United at home, you know, even scoring direct free kick goals now. Really, really fantastic performance. Delighted for the, for the boys. And, you know, for once, it feels really good to be a Villa fan after a match. And there's not been that often that I've been saying that in the last few months. <clears throat> I had to bring this stat- statistic up for you because I was excited for this conversation. I knew you'd be passionate about the way that Villa played. And, you know, I, I grew up a Manchester United fan, so this result kind of hurt me in many ways. And uh, my father in particular was pretty pissed off with that United performance. <laughs> but I just loved what Villa produced out there. This is the statistic that stood out to me. Jacob Ramsey is the fourth player in Premier League history with a goal an assist and an own goal in a single Premier League match right there. But I thought his, his final finish to wrap things up was the bow on a performance, which was absolutely fantastic. They gave everything they had and the finishing was very, very good today. And you could tell one thing in particular, the fans were all in on that game. It was pretty special to watch. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and I think the players will thrive on that energy moving forward. It really gives them something to build upon. Kind of a little concerned about what the the, the sort of, uh, you know, um, backlash will be when Villa face United again on Thursday in the EFL Cup, because in my opinion, until we get higher up the table, I'd love to think that we can do something similar to Newcastle last season, but let's yeah. not get too ahead of ourselves. I still think that the domestic cups are probably the best route into Europe for Villa this season. And, you know, I know people will be saying, oh, Villa, you know, maybe they're getting ahead of themselves thinking about Europe. But that's been the goal now for the last two seasons. And I think Emery being brought in is definitely a reflection of the fact that that's where Villa have identified that they want to go. But they're also they feel they're capable of going. So I think now, you know, there certainly has to be a focus on those domestic cup games and United being the only one before the World Cup break. That's going to be of huge importance. But the fans, uh, you know, that will buoy them. That will give Emery and the players something to work with. Uh, you know, and the players will feel good after that kind of performance as well. I'm glad you singled out Ramsey. I'm a really, really big fan of his. It's always great to see what we can produce through the Youth Academy. So to see a player of his quality coming through, it really feels like it's only a matter of time before he's regularly playing for, for England at, uh, at senior level, or at least I hope it's only a matter of time. But, uh, you know, I think he got a bit unlucky as well with the, with the own goal. 
And I kind of feel that that even flattered United on the day because as yeah. good as Villa were, and you know, for once we were very, very good and impressive, United were really, really disappointing. And I, I remember Mike Lahoud, uh, before the game got underway, was kind of surprised to see that the lineup was pretty much the same one that played in Europe a couple of days before on the Thursday. So, yep. you know, perhaps that's an indication of the fact that Ten Hag, you know, maybe has his, uh, you know, he, ha- he has a bit of a, a, a kind of preference for certain players and he's he's really, really trying to get something out of players that he's not necessarily going to be able to extract. And obviously within that point, I'm referring to this continued effort to try and get something out of Cristiano Ronaldo, which just quite clearly is not there with United. I mean, do you disagree? No, I agree with you. And then also found it a little interesting to see Cristiano obviously getting into a bit of a scrap with Tyrone Mings as well. It made absolutely no sense. Uh, you know, Ronaldo was the captain today uh, in the lineup there. Some great comments coming in from Matt talking about Coutinho being left out of the squad, which was a big statement as well. Um, Stevie G never got that type of performance out of those players. And I think all around, yeah, you're absolutely right. But at the end of the day, no matter what Manchester United do, and to the talking point of uh, relying on players, I think coaches who come into a new team do that. When you get wins and you get a good performances you have a tendency to lean to the same 11 that you're getting results from even though these players are being asked a lot of right now so great uh win for villa great win for unai emery what a great start for him and uh nice to see that smile on your face um let's have a look at the other fixtures that took place this weekend at the premier league west ham went down by two goals to one crystal palace olise scoring a goal in the 94th minute of that game for palace to pick up a massive three points erling Haaland on the score sheet a last minute winner for manchester city um against fulham obviously down by a man for a large period of that game. Uh, Everton going down by two goals to one against Leicester City. Top performance from Leicester. Really impressed with their performance. And Tillemans went an absolute banger into the top corner. Loved that goal. Jesse Marsh delight. Uh, 4-3 victory over Bournemouth. Uh, it was amazing to see this type of comeback from Jesse Marsh's side. Don't know how long you can keep doing that though in the Premier League. That is for sure. But this was a big win for Leeds United. Back-to-back victories. And Southampton go down by four goals to one to Newcastle. Hassan Hootl. The rumour is that he's been fired. I'm not sure, JJ, if you can confirm or not that he has been fired. Newcastle moving to third place. Newcastle have won the last four games, undefeated in the last nine. Almiron, seven goals in his last seven, scored in four consecutive games. Final thoughts before we get the hell out of here, JJ. Yeah, well, I'm just going to throw it over to you because I know how much you wanted to rave about that MLS Cup final uh, over the weekend. I mean, I was paying attention to it from afar, checking out all the goals. I was pretty surprised by the number of headed goals, but I know that there's been a lot of positive <laughs> feedback about it being the the, the best MLS Cup uh, final of all time. And it didn't disappoint in terms of talking points. Well, it didn't disappoint up until the penalty shootout. The penalty shootout, I'll be honest with you, was pretty uh, was pretty butt cheeks. Listen, it was a good final. And, and many people are calling this the best MLS game ever. Um, I, I was at MLS Cup final watching my NYCFC lift the trophy. And that, to me, was the greatest final I've ever seen because I was supporting my team lifting the trophy. So it will always be the greatest final, being the first one for the club. However, this was one of the most incredible games I've ever seen. Full stop. Forget about MLS. This was just a wild game. It had everything it had everything from like crazy goals, injuries, penalty kicks. It was just wild. The fans played a big role in that game as well celebrations as you can see Gareth Bale scored in the 128th minute to take it to penalty kicks I mean this game had absolutely is it me me going really great there 
He's going great, <laughs> whether you like it or not. I mean, he's got a little shave, a little fade going on in the side of his head here, but he definitely looks like he's got the gray hair going now. He's getting older now. But what a great goal that was, though, JJ. I know you saw the goals. Great goal from Gareth Bale and an important goal for him because this is him probably leaving Major League Soccer, going to a World Cup now as an MLS Cup champion, scoring a big goal like that for the club. He goes down as an icon at LAFC now. He does, but I'm I'm kind of curious to know more how you will retain your thoughts of Denny Buanga because Buanga for me is somebody who's always had a lot of talent in Ligue 1. Didn't always show it consistently, but I know he was voted man of the match in this uh, in this game as well. So he's, I mean, I, I was quite happy for LAFC from that point of view because obviously he's a Ligue 1 product, so going on and enjoying success elsewhere is great. But yeah, Bale you know that he's going to turn up in the big matches. It's what he does in some of the other games, how motivated you can keep him. That will always dictate sort of, you know, how fond your memories will be of uh, Gareth Bale at your club. Yeah, pretty incredible. Uh, anyway, listen, we're going to get out here. JJ, we've spoken way too much, and that's what happens when <laughs> me and you get together on our own. We always seem to go overboard. We're at 55 minutes when we were told to keep it under 45, but it's been absolutely fantastic chatting with you, just wrapping things up for the weekend. Uh, don't forget, everybody out there, uh, we will have um, live coverage of the Champions League draw, the group. House of Champions will be together very early in the morning, six o'clock in the morning Eastern. So make sure if you want to join the family, join in the conversation while we all watch the draw together, please feel free to jump on board with us. JJ, I don't know, are you joining that show? Yeah, I'll be joining in at some point and trying to live blog it at the same time. So I'm sure it'll be a glorious mess. But uh, just looking forward to my shouts of rage when PSG get drawn against a Real Madrid or a Man City again. I look forward to it, my friend. Great stuff as always. Thank you to you. Thank you to everybody else out there for listening to House of Champions. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. We're also available as videos, so subscribe to us on YouTube. Thanks to everybody out there for joining in the show, leaving your comments, supporting myself and uh, JJ. JJ, get some sleep on we. Thanks so much as always, brother. No, thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, catch you bright and early tomorrow. See you everybody tomorrow, 6 a.m. Eastern for the Champions League draw. See you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.